Hello and welcome to another episode of Serendipity Girl. I'm your host, Colleen, and I'm on a quest to discover and think about, to fix my thoughts on things that are not only true, but are also noble and right and pure and lovely and just and excellent and worthy of praise. And I'm so glad you joined me. You know, I'm trying to keep these podcasts shorter out of respect for people's time because I know we all live busy lives. In fact, I would say my life is too busy sometimes and I'm constantly asking the Lord, what is it you want me to do and what is it you don't want me to do? But I'm so glad that you have taken time to listen to this and I just want to throw a word out for you and have you think for a second what it means. What does it mean to you? Grace. When you hear the word grace, what comes to mind? Well, I think of actresses like Grace Kelly, who literally lived up to her name because one definition is like Grace Kelly exemplified someone who moves gracefully. They just She just kind of floated into a room. She didn't clomp in like a bull in a china shop. She acted very feminine and she celebrated the, her beauty and her femininity as the gift from God that it was. I don't know where she was spiritually, but she definitely was one who celebrated the beauty that God had given her physically and in the roles that she played and how she talked and how she spoke. Uh, again, she was reading scripted lines and she had makeup people working on her and with hair and all of that and she had beautiful costumes. But I just think of the roles that she played and Grace Kelly was so gracious and graceful. But grace is also something I think about when the few times I've been pulled over for speeding or something else like a, a, a tail light that's out and you see that policeman coming up to your car and your adrenaline is pumping and you're you're trying not to be nervous and he's like did you know how fast you were going <laughs> and then he tells you what speed limit was and he asks you why you were speeding And you're just thinking the whole time, oh, I hope he gives me grace. Oh, I hope he gives me grace. I hope I don't get a ticket. Please don't give me a ticket. Please look at my record. I don't have any record of tickets, please. And um, he either gives you the ticket that you deserve or he gives you mercy by not giving you the ticket and he gives you grace by saying, hey, here's a warning. Just go ahead and go on, but slow down, okay? So that's another picture I have of grace. And grace is something that has been defined as getting what we don't deserve. Uh, We don't deserve it. It's favor. And when it's applied to God, it's God's favor that we get that we absolutely do not deserve. Mercy is the flip side of that coin where God doesn't give you what you deserve. Like, we deserve hell and separation from God because of sin, because our God is a holy God. But in His mercy, He doesn't give us separation from Him eternally if we accept what He is graciously extending. And here comes the grace, salvation, which is by grace, through faith in what Jesus did, his performance, 
on the and how he lived a sinless life being god he came down to earth as a human baby yet without sin that's why the virgin birth was so important because that sin cancer gene was coming through adam and it was coming through adam and uh because adam and eve sinned and didn't believe god and believed the lies of satan uh that sin cancer gene is in every single human being that's born, even that precious baby that you may be holding. They have a sin cancer gene that's going to show itself pretty soon. It doesn't mean that they're not beautifully made in God's image and they're not loved, but God is not only love, he's holy. And he had to do something about sin. So he showed grace by giving us what we don't deserve salvation, which is through Christ and his perfect performance because he lived 33 years on this earth and he never sinned and he died to pay for all of our sins, past, present, and future. And that's grace. If you want to know what grace is, it's when God or when you and I give someone something they just don't deserve. And mercy is the flip side when we don't give them what they do deserve. So, I ran across something in the Bible, in Hebrews, that I've read so many times and I've memorized it. But it's like God is highlighting the word grace for me. And I got to tell you, ever since I saw the Barbie movie with my daughter, that jiggled a lot of things. God's jiggling a lot of things in my life right now because for the first 13 years of my life, I was a champion performer at everything. I would perform for the love of my parents. I would perform for the love of my peers at school. I would perform for the love and acceptance of anybody in my life because I believed Satan's lies that I didn't deserve love just because I existed. I had no worth or value unless I performed perfectly. I found out pretty quick that people, they're really not good at giving unconditional love. We're just not. We're not good. We tend to put conditions on it. Oh, we'll show love, but a lot of times there's a price tag hiding behind it. And um, if you don't meet, meet my approval, and if you don't do what I want you to do, Uh, This is called performance-based acceptance. I don't know if it's just me. I don't think it is. I think there's a lot of people dealing with this. I think it's it's just part of the, the sin that dogs us, that sin cancer gene. But in the first 13 years of my life, I thought I had to perform for the love and acceptance of my parents, my family, my peers. I was the butt of cliques. I was bullied all through school. It was verbally, thank God it was just verbal. But I don't know. I mean, I had kids in the, in the neighborhood. They thought it would be fun when they found out that I was very afraid of daddy long leg spiders. I don't know. Are they spiders? Uh, daddy long legs. They thought it would be a good idea to pick me up bodily and with me screaming like crazy, um, take me all the way up to a nest of daddy long legs. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Um, That's just the tip of the iceberg. And I mean, I was at three different schools and the schools were different, but the kids were the same. 
And that dogged me all the way all the way up through high school until I finally found my tribe and I was in the chorus and the drama. And uh, by that point, I think we were all, you know, trying to grow out of that. But adults do it too. So first 13 years of my life, I didn't know much about grace. It was all about perform and you better perform perfectly. And I read an article that says that even if you have outside people uh, impressing upon you that you have to do things perfectly and you become a perfectionist at some point, you're going to internalize it. And I no longer needed anybody to tell me I needed to be perfect because the lies of Satan were, boy, it was a well-oiled, well-greased machine. And by 13, I was performing for everybody. And I was miserable and sarcastic. And by this point, I was so sick of feeling rejected that I decided to get the first strike and I would reject people. And if they wouldn't accept me, I would try to compete and be better than them because I was wrapping myself and my wounded self-esteem in pride. Well, pride's really not a good idea either. And I went to church, but I was not appropriating and understanding that God loved me apart from the way everybody else seemed to love me. Now, again, it was their own woundedness, and we're all sinners uh, coming into this world, and we all sin against each other. That's what dysfunction is caused by. And if anybody tries to help you get over that, but they are leaving your creator out of the scenario, may I be bold enough to say it's not going to work. And you'll spend the rest of your life just hearing the same solutions over and over and over. Now, in his grace and mercy, God may give you a limited measure of success. But it is a spiritual problem and it requires a spiritual answer. Am I being mutually exclusive and saying that Christ is the answer? You bet your booties, I am. And I don't apologize for that. Because it would be like apologizing for 2 plus 2 equals 4. And someone else may say, well, I feel like it's 3.275. Okay. Well, you may feel that way and you may call that your truth, but there is no such thing as your truth and my truth. That's a politically correct statement, which says that we can all believe a bunch of lies, but they feel true. Where do you think that's coming from? You think that's coming from the brain of humans? No, it's coming from Satan. Because he wants you to believe lies. He doesn't care what you believe as long as you don't believe the truth. And the truth, as he knows it, is in the Bible. Why do you think he was fighting so hard to get it out of schools in America? And maybe in other countries. Because why do you think he's trying so hard to revise history and get you to believe that America was not founded on Christian, Judeo-Christian ideals? And they're trying to do away with that. And college professors, I don't know what they're spouting, but... I can tell you having two kids in schools and they were both in Christian schools, it happens even there. So by the time I was 13, when I got saved and I understood that God was saving me by grace through Jesus, because I wasn't discipled, I just kind of fell back into the old patterns. They were very well-worn patterns. But the good news is there's this thing called neuroplasticity. And scientists are discovering what God's been telling us all along. If you 
get into God's word and you read it, you listen to it, and you believe what you're reading. Like he says in Romans 12, you will start a process, and it is a process. You don't undo these old lies and these strongholds that Satan has got in you because you've been believing his lies. And the lies you believe will be different from mine. The lies that our culture believes, it doesn't matter. They're all different, but what they have in common is that they're all lies. So we've all been exposed to the lies of Satan because we're in a battle. Satan wants your worship. And you're like, well, I don't worship Satan. If you're not worshiping Jesus, you are, whether you realize it or not, worshiping Satan because you're ingesting the thoughts and the lies that he is pumping into our culture. And the only solution And he's pitching these thoughts to you as well. He pitches thoughts. They may have a little bit of truth in them, but the rest is a lie. And Jesus refers to him as the father of lies. So he doesn't want you to know about grace. He'll let you, he's happy if you keep trying to perform for God the way we tend to perform for other people, because people tend to be conditional in their acceptance and love. And I started Even as a new Christian, because I didn't know any better, and because I wasn't discipled, no one took me under their wing and sat down with me one-on-one and went through the Bible systematically and, and shared with me my identity in Christ. Oh, by the way, if you want to know your identity in Christ, look up on the internet, Identity in Christ Scriptures. Um, And I have a book I'm coming out with called Positively His, 30 Days to Understanding Who You Are in Christ. It's only as I'm starting to wrap my head around who I am in Christ in scriptures like Ephesians, a lot of the um, epistles that God wrote through Paul, like Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Galatians, um, but it's in the Gospels too. And as I'm wrapping my head around my identity in Christ, it is starting to displace some of the lies, but it's going to be a process, but neuroplasticity is the ability of the brain to change. And as you start thinking new thoughts that line up with God's word, which means you've got to be reading and studying God's word, then that truth, because Jesus says that he is the truth, and so therefore everything he speaks is truth. It's He's not like the rest of us. He can't lie. He can't lie. So... The only way to displace Satan's lies and the lies that people are believing because they're prisoners of war in their mind because they have given their minds over to Satan. And until you give your life to Jesus, until you put your faith in Jesus, we're essentially slaves to sin and slaves to our sin natures and slaves to Satan. We just don't know it. You don't have to be putting on some Wiccan robe or whatever to be following Satan and being a slave of Satan. You could be going to church every week, but you just haven't quite gotten the memo that you need to put your faith in Jesus. So, grace. Let's talk about grace. Like I said, for the first 13 years of my life, I didn't have any kind of understanding of grace. And it didn't help that I was playing piano and competing in these classical competitions where you had to play everything perfectly. I was already trying to be perfect for my mom. And to a lesser extent, my dad. I was really trying to be perfect for my mom. Just like she tried to be perfect for her mom. 
And before you judge my mom too, too harshly, because I'm not, she had it done to her. Because when I was going to my grandmother's, grandmother would cut my toenails, put them carefully, the clippings, in an envelope, seal it, and give me very strict instructions to go home and give this envelope to my mother. What do you think she was doing? She was shaming my mom and saying, you're not a good enough mom because I had to cut your daughter's toenails. So you need to do better. And I once found a list, and I love my grandmother. Wonderful woman. But again, we all sin. I'm just telling you, we're all dysfunctional. We all sin. And we can spend our lives blaming our parents and blaming our past. But at some point, we have to take ownership and... Once my grandmother, I found a list that she kept of things that my mom said to her that hurt her feelings. Well, God says, keep no record of wrongs. Maybe my grandmother didn't know that. Maybe she hadn't seen that scripture. Um, but we all do it. We, that, we all need grace. So that's, that's the point of this is we all need grace. And God is a grace. And what I can't, God is a grace. God is full of grace. In fact, in Hebrews Excuse me. In Hebrews, I have read this verse so many times about coming boldly to the throne of grace. And and I got so focused on the running to Jesus who Hebrews says he he gets us, he understands and sympathizes with our weaknesses and he's our great high priest and he's he understands everything we go through yet without sin. And we can come to him to find grace and help and mercy in time of need. Well, I just kind of ran over that throne of grace. God's very throne is built on grace. That tells you he's trying to let us know how gracious he longs to be. Now, people might say, well, yeah, what about all that stuff he did in the Old Testament? I mean, all those people he wiped out, all those people whose last names ended in ites like the Amorites and the Hittites and and all those ites and the termites. And, um, well, God is a holy God and his, he's got a holy standard. Now, none of us can keep it, but their sin was so bad and they were not even trying to follow God. They had made up their own gods. They were believing the lies of Satan and making up their own gods, sacrificing their children that God created and gave them to these gods. They were bad. They were super, super bad. And yet you see God's grace in things like with Jonah. He tells Jonah, go, because he knows that if Jonah goes and tells the people of Nineveh, hey, you dudes are sinning really badly. Uh, You need to repent. You need to change your mind. You need to like stop wanting to sin. You need to, you know, just come to God. And, um, Sure enough, Jonah, Jonah didn't even want to go to those people. They were so bad. He's like, he, I mean, he would rather jump into the ocean. He tried to escape going by getting on a ship. And, and then, you know, God uses a whale or a big fish. I don't know if it was a whale. It was a big fish. Um, because he's like, you're, are you ready to go to these people now? And, and Jonah goes, that's how much God cared about those people of Nineveh. And everybody was so afraid of them. That's how bad they were. I mean, God had to destroy the the people in the flood after 
But in his grace, in his mercy, he had Noah preaching to them for 120 years. And for 120 years, they laughed at him, ridiculed him, mocked him. It's not like he didn't give them a chance. And ultimately, you have to look at the fact that God is gracious because he made a way of salvation, the only way. And he didn't have to make a way at all. So if he doesn't think that all these other ways that people try to get right with God, first of all, a lot of them are worshiping gods that are not God. They're not really gods, but they've believed lies. And every other religion that I see, unless for atheists who are like, hey, there's no God, so guess what? I get to do what I want. I get to just do whatever. It doesn't matter. I'll make up my own moral code. I'm God. And agnostics, which are like, well, I don't really know, but I don't care enough to find out. I think there is a God, but I don't think he has anything. He didn't care about us. He didn't have any plan. Have they looked at the Bible? Because he's laid it all out there. So when we reject the truth of God, we're going to believe all of Satan's lies. And he doesn't care who or what you're worshiping, because ultimately he knows you're really worshiping him. Because he put the thoughts in your mind, and you bought it. You bought those lies. And I bought those lies. And so... I want to talk about God's grace and his throne of grace. I mean, that blows my mind. He cares to build his throne out of grace. And yes, it's probably a metaphor. Um, But grace is getting what you don't deserve. And God is extending salvation to all of us. He's extending it. He knows that not everybody's going to receive it. But it's not his will that any should perish but that all should come to repentance and put their faith in Jesus. But he's not going to force you to do it. And yet we can't come to him unless he draws us because he knows who's going to come and who's not. And he knows who's going to accept him. But people who come to Christ as adults and they're like, he was coming for me all these years. Like Phil Wickham talks about, it's always been you. I mean, I love that song. It's, it, it's, it's just incredible how God is trying to woo us through his creation. And he's screaming at us through his creation. Hey, this is an accident. You're not here by accident. I created you in my image and I love you. And I'm holy. And yeah, you need to be saved. But I'm reaching out to you. I, I came down and died on the cross for you. Because Jesus is God. He's always been God. He's not a man who became God. He's God who then became fully human. So he's fully human yet without sin. He doesn't have that sin cancer gene that you and I have. But let's talk about grace. Grace is how God, first of all, saves us. Ephesians 2.8. He says we're saved by grace through faith. And grace is getting what you don't deserve. So in no way is it works because Ephesians 2.8 says we're saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. That little parenthetical phrase, that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. That The antecedent of that is faith. And really before it, it, it it's all of it. So is he just saying the faith is not of ourselves, it's of God? Uh, yeah, the faith comes from God because he's the author and the finisher of our faith. An author is somebody who creates something, right? So he's the author of our faith. He created the faith. He gives us the faith. 
And the Bible talks about the measure of faith that God has given you. And so we're saved by grace through faith. Even the faith, you can't take credit for that. He gives you the faith. And it's not by works. So we cannot take credit for it. You don't do anything to deserve salvation before you're saved. And you don't do anything to deserve to keep your salvation. He had to make it completely dependent upon the performance and the work of Jesus Christ, which is why when somebody asks Jesus, what are the works that we have to do? And isn't that what everybody's asking? You know, if they're trying to be right with God because they sense that they're not, look at all these other religions. They're like, well, just live umpteen times. Go around the circle so many times. Keep being born and eventually maybe you'll get there. Okay, but Jesus says, In Hebrews, I believe, it's destined for man to live once, and then after that comes the judgment seat. So who's right? Who's right? Who's wrong? But as I look at all these other ones, there are some people that think that if they're in a holy war and they die, then you're in. But other than that, they're following a religion, but they have no assurance of salvation at all. I've talked to some of their quote-unquote missionaries in Vienna, and... He's like trying to get me to become his religion. And I'm like trying to get him to put his faith in Jesus. And he, I'm like, when you die, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? He's like, no, nobody does. Not really. And I'm like, really? And I told him about the assurance of salvation that I had because it's built on Jesus. So if you look at all these other religions, it's everybody... I mean, trying to do it themselves. They understand that we're separated from God. If they can understand that there's just one God and not like a bunch of Greek gods or Roman gods. But Christianity is the only one that says you can't be good enough. You can't do it. It's not on your works. Put your pride down. Humble yourself. You need God's grace. You need him to give you what you don't deserve. And you need to put your faith in Jesus and what he's done for you on the cross. And I remember when I was in third grade, I could get a piece of candy if I got a 100. And I was always aiming for 100. Why? Because that was perfect. And I was trying to be perfect. And you could get a piece of candy if you got a 100. Well, we had a really hard test. So she said, this was a really hard test. So you can miss up to three and still get a piece of candy. Well, when I saw that I had missed three and I got a 97, I proceeded to cry for 20 minutes in class, put my head on my desk and was disrupting the class crying. And the teacher's still teaching, but I'm moaning and groaning and all that. And my best friend's like, well, she said that you could get a piece of candy if you missed up to three and I'm like, I don't deserve the candy. I didn't get a perfect score. And so finally I went up to the table and she said, I said, can I have my piece of candy? She said, no, had you not thrown this huge fit in my classroom, I would have gladly given you the candy, even though you missed three. But since you just chose to disrupt the whole class, I never forgot that, but I never got the lesson of that. Even in third grade, I could not understand grace. Because I thought I had to be perfect for everybody. So I translated this onto God. But you know what? He showed me seven years later 
He said, you're trying to live. After I'd been a Christian for seven years, but nobody had discipled me. And I was just kind of floundering. I was still going to church. I was in the youth group. I went on youth retreats and all that. But I wasn't getting any of the Romans 12 reprogramming that my neuroplastic brain needed to stop conforming to the image of the world, which is perform, perform, perform. We'll accept you today. We'll hate you tomorrow. I didn't get any of that. And I needed it, which is why I'm like so into discipleship of new believers. So they don't waste the first seven years of their life. Now, was God still with me? Yes. And maybe it just took seven years and and why I still believe the lies sometimes that I have to perform for God. I don't know. I have this Barbie image of myself and it's Barbie 2.0 Christian girl. And I've been toying with the title of something maybe I'll write called Becoming a Grace Girl in a Barbie World. Because that perfectionism in me was so strong. But let's talk about grace. Grace is what saves us. God saves us by grace. He gives us salvation as a gift by grace. It's also how he gives us our spiritual identity. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, which, li- listen, and uh, line, I'll, I'll get the word out. Write down, write down all the things that you have if you've put your faith in Jesus to save you. And if you haven't, go read the book of John and read the book of Genesis and pay attention to scriptures like John 3.16 and then read things like John 1, 12, and then Romans, well, and John 6, 2, and then Romans 3, 23, Romans 6, 23, Romans 10, 13, and Ephesians 2, verse 8. And you can run the podcast back if you want to hear those again. But grace is how God gives us every spiritual blessing in Christ. Like being chosen in Christ before the world was founded. Uh, That eliminates performance right there. Uh, You were chosen in Christ before he even created you. Whoa. Whoa. You were chosen by him and in love he predestined you to be adopted into his family in accordance with his will and pleasure. And then he caps it by saying, to the praise of his glorious grace. You're darn right. God is all about grace. And Satan would have us believe that he's this God who wants to condemn and he wants to judge. And sometimes we who have received grace do a really poor job of extending grace to others. And we don't get across to them that God loves you. He's condemning the sin that you're doing. He doesn't like the sinful behavior, but he loves you. And if that sin problem is not taken care of, if you don't get the only cure for your spiritual sin cancer that you inherited before you were born because of Adam and Eve and their choice to believe Satan's lies, you're the one that's rejecting God. He's not rejecting you. If you will only accept the gift of salvation by grace through faith built that was built on the perfect life, perfect works, and the finished 
substitutionary death on the cross by Jesus for your sins and his resurrection. If you will accept that he can save you, he will give you that salvation. He will make you a new person, give you a new heart with desires to follow him. He will put his Holy Spirit within you to live within you, who will guide and direct and counsel you. He will do all of this and more by grace. And if we can just show God's love to people and remember that we need to be grace extenders, giving them what they don't deserve, not giving them what they do deserve, but giving them what they don't deserve, giving them love and acceptance. He says, accept one another just as God in Christ accepted you. Now that's talking accept other people that have put their faith in Jesus, but he doesn't want us to go around rejecting people who aren't Christians. He wants us to accept them where they're at, not their behavior, but their sin behavior. They need a savior. And if we're not the love of Jesus, and if we don't be the hands and the feet of Jesus and extend his love and not act all condemning and self-righteous, which there is no such thing as self-righteousness. No such thing. So God saves us by grace. He gives us a new identity by grace, according to Ephesians 1. And then we stand in his grace. Because Romans 5 says that we are justified by faith, not works. Through grace, we gain access by faith into the grace in which we stand. There is so much grace emanating from God's throne. Grace is what ushers us into the kingdom. It is behind us. And we are coming to Jesus, who is the God of grace, because the Father is has given us to him for salvation. And we can't even come to him, according to John 6, unless the Father has given us to him. And he says, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. What credit can you take for in that? That's why Paul says, I just boast about Jesus. I, I just boast about Jesus and the cross. That's, that's, I can't get over the cross. I can't get over what God's done for me. He knew, he said in Philippians 3, all this stuff I was trying to do, talk about performance. He was like, I was trying to perform for God. I was this and that and the other. And I was, I got this award and that award. And I was the best Jew and the best Pharisee and of the tribe of Benjamin, I think. And, and I, you know, I was faultless. And I'm like, wow, Paul, you were faultless in terms of, following the law. Okay. I don't know exactly what he means by that because I know he would say that he was the chief of sinners in Romans seven, but he's like all this stuff I did. It's all trash. It's all junk. I throw it away because I'd rather have Christ's righteousness. It's a trade because all this stuff could never save me. I did all this stuff and I was never saved by any of it. So I just want you guys to see, and I know I've gone a little long here like I always do. We serve a God whose very throne is built on grace, giving all of us what we don't deserve. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus, and he is by grace 
gently propelling people towards salvation, herding them gently, herding, not hurting, but herding like a shepherd herds sheep. He's herding them, allowing this pain and that pain because he wants to get their attention and say, hey, look up, look up. Like Lauren Daigle says in that song, look up, child. He's trying to tell us through all the broken relationships and all of the pain and the hurt that we go through and all of the frustration of trying to perform and know we're not good enough and know that we can't find that perfect love and that perfect unconditional love and acceptance in anybody except him. So he's going to allow the world to buffet you to get your attention. And if you pay attention, he doesn't need to allow much of it. But if you're hard-hearted and proud and stubborn like me, it might take 13 years of your life. It might take 45. It might take more. You might be on your deathbed. I hope not. But he'll keep trying. There's a song that says, there's no mountain he won't... I'm trying to think how it goes. There's no mountain he won't climb up. There's no lie that he won't tear down coming after us. He's coming after you. You're not coming after him. If you're coming after him, it's because because he's wooing you to himself. That's the most romantic thing. So the Bible is the greatest love story ever. And my first episode talks about that um, all the way back in 2020. But just understand that God is all about grace He's holy, he's just, but Jesus has paid for our sins and that's not a license to sin. His grace should make us want to trust and obey him in the power of the Holy Spirit more and not choose to give in to Satan's temptations that come in through lies that he propels towards our mind, uh, thoughts that he propels that are all lies, They may have a little bit of truth in them. He'll bait it with some truth. But he's lying to you, always, because he's the father of lies. And that's his native language, according to Jesus. And the culture. You can't take your truth from the culture. You can't take your truth from books and movies and TV shows and, and everything if they don't have a relationship with Jesus. They may have some truth that they've picked up from the Lord because he's gracious and he's merciful. But the best they can do is tell you what's wrong, but they can't fix it and they can't tell you how to fix it. They can give you human methods, which will fail because you can't do them perfectly. And I'm not saying that once you become a Christian, you can do things perfectly. That's where I went wrong. I thought that God wanted me to be a perfect Christian because now I knew better. I had the Bible, better read it, better get busy, better get going. Wow, what a lie that influenced me. And for seven years, I tried my hardest. And I was so frustrated. And seven years later, God said, you are trying to live the Christian life in your own strength. Why don't you just give it all to me and let me live my life through you? And my life changed. I was already saved. I'd been saved for seven years. I just didn't understand how to appropriate and that God was a gracious God and that And this is what I want to leave you with, uh, this and one other thought. The truth is, you can't live the Christian life before you're saved. 
And hear what I'm saying. You can't live. You can't live the Christian life after you're saved. The only one who can live the Christian life is Jesus. And he's given us his spirit because he wants us to depend on him, yield to him. And then as God was telling me that day, he says, don't try to live the Christian life in your own strength. Give it all to me. And we get that choice every day, Romans 12, to be surrendered living sacrifices to God. We're just giving ourselves to him and we're letting him fill us with his spirit and letting his spirit live out the fruit of the spirit. It's called the fruit of the spirit because it's his fruit that he will bear through you. John, through the book of John, God gets across the concept that we are to abide in Christ like a branch. The branch doesn't bear that fruit. It gets its strength and its life and everything from the vine. And Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. So we don't take the Bible and say, okay, it's a to-do list of things to do and not to do. Just try to do as many of those as you can and God will be happy with you. No, he loves you. He accepts you just as you are. But as Max Lucado says, he loves you too much to let you stay that way. But he's got a whole plan for conforming you to the image of Christ, the character of Christ, so that you begin to think and speak and do things and see things the way he wants you to, the way Christ does. But he's doing that through you. And that's the part I'm still trying to work on, you know. But it's it's letting him live his perfect life through us imperfectly. We're not going to do it perfectly. And that's why 1 John 1, 9 is there. We can come to him and say, oh, I goofed. I screwed up. I sinned. And he's like, yeah, I know. And he says, I've already forgiven you. I paid for that on the cross. But he gives us like a spiritual shower, so to speak. You know, Um, it's just like when my kids do something wrong against me, they don't cease to be my children. I don't ever say, well, you're not my child anymore. They're always going to be my children. I may not be happy with what they're doing. I wish they would do things differently, but they're always my children and I'm always going to love them. And if I can do that imperfectly, how much more can a perfect God always love us? Which is why Romans 8 says nothing separates us from his love. So just know that God has a throne of grace. Grace is how he saves you. Grace is how he creates your new identity in Christ. And you are standing in grace. He ushered you into his kingdom by grace. And now you are standing literally in grace, surrounded by grace. My admonition is to receive his grace. This is what I want to do. And if you agree, maybe you can do it too. Receive his grace. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus, what are you waiting for? Receive his grace. Rest in his grace. And rejoice in his grace. This is Serendipity Girl. Thanks for hanging with me. Because I know I can be a little on the verbose side, but I just want to make sure you guys understand everything I'm trying to get across in an imperfect way about our perfect God. Now go and have a serendipitous day.